Shall we begin? Why not? Welcome to Frankie Sense and More. It's like she's got a whole lot of goodness for you with a little bit of sass. Frankie, did you just say... She sure did. Not to mention, along with... Whoops. Join us now as Frankie Picasso and her new co-host mix it up with authors, musicians, and interviews with world-changing people. Let's begin now. Okay, let's begin now, because it only makes sense. Hello there, and welcome to Frankie sense and more. I am so glad that you have joined me today. The sun is shining. It's summer. It's beautiful. And today we have a a little bit different show for us. Uh, It's going to be fabulous nonetheless, I promise you. We have us today is is an extraordinary woman. She's a wife. She was a manager, a caregiver to the late, great Texas Country Hall of Famer Freddie Powers. Freddie and his wife, Catherine Powers, were married for over 25 years with Catherine managing Freddie's career as a prolific performer and songwriter. And Freddie was most celebrated for co-writing numerous number one hits for Merle Haggard, notably including such fan faves as Let's Chase Each Other Around the Room Tonight, I Always Get Lucky With You, Natural High, and A Place to Fall Apart, among countless others. Freddie's a recipient of a Lifetime Achievement Award by the Nashville Songwriter Association, International, the Texas Music Academy, the Texas Guitar Association, the CMA Triple Play Award, and BMI Number One Song Award, among other coveted distinctions and honors. Now, for the very first time in the pages of his memoir, The Spree of 83, already it sounds like it's going to be fun, Freddie, Catherine, and friends like Willie Nelson, Merle Haggard, John Rich, Tanya Tucker, voice finalist and powers protege Mary Sarah, recount firsthand the highly entertaining and emotionally touching story behind behind his decades-long roller coaster ride through the music business and to the top of the charts. And it was also his inspiring struggle in recent years, battling Parkinson's disease, all while his legacy endured through generations of fans. First, let's welcome Catherine Powers. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you. Glad to be with you. I got, you know, I just have to say, you know, bless you for all, all that you did. And I know it's not easy to be a caregiver to... Um, you know, husband, father, whoever it is, but it's, you know, you did it for a long time and, you know, kudos to you um, for, for that because people tend to forget the caregivers sometimes, but amazing. And so I understand that, that you and Freddie were like love at first sight. We were love at first sight. Absolutely. Um, his son had brought me in one of the, his albums, um, the country jazz singer album. And he goes, Hey, this is my dad's album. Um, you want to listen to it, and I, I was going to listen to it. I want to look at him. And then um, a couple of weeks later, he said, hey, my dad just invited us up to the houseboat. you want to go? And I went, we can go in my car. And it didn't take he and I, but probably just a few moments of looking at each other, we knew it was it was meant to be. That's extraordinary. I mean, you <laughs> fell in love with the picture on the cover of an album. I fell in love with the picture. Yes, I did. For two weeks, I just kept <laughs> fantasizing the day I was going to get to meet this man. <laughs> and I knew he was going to be my man when I met him. So he had a kind of a girlfriend-ish. Because when they were on, on we should talk about Lake Shasta, during the years that um, Freddie and, and Merle Haggard were living in houseboats, was it about 10? And years they lived on the houseboat. On oh the God, yeah, yeah. It was it was about really to, I think close to about thirteen years altogether. Wow. So these were like you know little boys <laughs> playing music, you know, drinking, 
examining, you know, the whole bit. Just, gosh, you couldn't imagine a better time in his life. <laughs> right. Actually, um, I there was a song that Freddie wrote called, uh, called Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, which is a story about Freddie and Merle living up there on those houseboats. Being too young, acting like ten, acting like two boys, exactly boys. (laughs) Boys, that's what it sounded like reading their story. You know what? I think we have that song. Um, Karina, can you can you grab that song? Do you think Huckleberry Finn, Tom Sawyer? Let's hear a bit of that. While watching the bubbles and my beer disappear My mind is taken far away from here To a better way of living To a world much more forgiving We were just like children who had run away from home That old jukebox plays a lot of memories Takes me back to 1983 Floating down the river Sailing on the wind Living like Tom Sawyer And Huckleberry Finn I'm thankful for the memories I'm able to recall Me and Huckleberry <laughs> and there you go, Huckleberry Finn. Talk that was there. That was, two boys. Yeah. Yes, that was right. Crazy they had times. But they were prolific writing times. Oh, God, like, yes. Matter of fact, you know, that like, spree, we call it the spree of 83, and that spree of 83 actually was like a three-year period from 83 to 86 when he and Merle was up there writing all those hit songs and just having a lot, you know, right. great time in life. Great time in life. and. You know, living the life of Riley. Now, Mm -hmm. Freddie wanted to learn country, a little bit more country, because Freddie was like a jazzy kind of uh, swing player, I think. Yeah, Dixieland. Yeah, Yeah, Dixieland kind of a swing. Wanted to learn more jazz. Absolutely, and uh, Merle also um, was a rhythm guitar player, and he knew um, lead, but he wanted to be a become a better lead player. And Freddie, with being the kind of rhythm guitar player he was, it afforded Merle the you know the time and the ability to to work more on his lead guitar playing. And of course, we all know Merle was a phenomenal lead guitar player. Sure, and they played for hours and hours and hours and hours. Oh God, I'm telling you, sometimes we wondered if they were ever going to take a potty break. They would sit and play for ten <laughs> hours and never even get up. And like Merle said, oh one time God. they played for sixteen hours, and then they realized it was time to go back to work. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, Merle Haggard said about Freddie, he's a genius whispering in the ear of giants, never realizing that he's been a giant all along. Yes. Yes, I thought that. Merle, I mean, he's you know, so he's so prolific a writer, and and you know he's been on so many albums, and he's he's you know helped so many people, and yet when you know you you go to Google Freddie or or Wikipedia, it's it's almost like you know well Merle Haggard and Willie Nelson, and but he's overshadowed, and I don't understand why. Was it because he didn't seem like he had a, a personality that was shy to? No, Freddie was far from shy, but you know what? He always, 
Freddie was one of those that he felt it was more important to make the people that he was working with or working with him to shine because the better they shine, he knew he would shine. And so, and Freddie was, you know, he wasn't one that wanted to go out and become the big star. Um, like he said, if it happened, it would have been great. But if it didn't, he was happy with what he was doing. And like he said, the greatest achievement of his life was writing songs for somebody as big as Merle Haggard. I mean, who was a great songwriter himself. And to have a number one with somebody like that, that to him, he had achieved the, the world. So he was, you know, it's interesting. You, you wrote you write about the beginning, and how Freddie grew up in a in a house full of singer songwriters, like people who were mm-hmm. just musically inclined, and and they always sang and played, and sounds like a wonderful, you know, upbringing. Yes, um, his sister um, Mary Lou actually had songs recorded by Hank Thompson and Eddie Arnold, and that was what got Freddie into the songwriting. Um, and of course, you know, in the book, it does tell you about some of the songs that Freddie had written in his early days. That, right. You know, back in those days, you, experience. yeah, that weren't good experiences. You know, um, but it, you know, um, he at first he let it defray him from it, but um, Merle brought him back around, and he became the songwriter, and and all, you know, all these great songs came out of him. That's amazing. Yeah. And and so when in his younger days he he couldn't wait to go off to war. Oh my he god. He was, <laughs> uh, you mean tell you, I that you know it was the John Wayne movies cuz back then you know World War 1, uh, World War 2 and they made it all just sounded so glamorous. And so Freddie yeah. Wright at 15 years old he went and joined the Air Force first. And because he he loved flying so he thought he would go I'm going to be in the Air Force and I'm going to learn to fly. And well, they caught him. Um, he was 15, and um, he was in boot camp. And they realized that he wasn't of age, so he called his father, and they had him come and get him. And he went back home. Well, Freddie turned 16. He ran off. He did it again. And this time, he went and joined the Marines. And um, they had decided that he was determined to stay. So Freddie ended up getting to stay down in San Diego at, at the MCRD. Um, military base there and he had to finish high school and he was confined to the base until he turned 18 so for two years freddie was in the marines he went through the whole nine yards but he wasn't allowed to leave the base (laughs) but he graduated high school that way as well yeah that sure helped and And he became a cid with with flying eh? i mean at 15 he wanted to join the air force and, and and when he was living on Lake Shasta, he built his own plane. Like, that's amazing. Yes, he did. He he built his own plane while Merle sat there and watched him. And Merle kept saying that he was worried that the headlines were going to read, Freddie Powers built an airplane, crashed it, killed himself while Merle Haggard watched. <laughs> he was like, I don't want to read that headline. <laughs> but Freddie was a great pilot. They had a helicopter. They flew around that lake. Like, Yeah, he um, actually, the first one was what they called a gyro. Um, gyrocopter, and then he built the um, the ultralight, which they named it the Natural High, and that one was the one that he built right there on the boat dock. And then um, Freddie graduated and got himself a Cessna 150, and, and then his final plane was a Cherokee 180. Wow! So, so he did a lot of flying. Did oh you yeah, guys go a lot, lot like to Europe or anything in any of his planes, or were they local? Well, 
no, no. We was we was basically all local. He and I would look for any excuse to go fly. It was so funny because we would park our plane down in in Minden, Nevada, and um, which we lived up in Lake Tahoe. And if we had just gotten in the car and drove straight to Reno, we could have had lunch and been back home before we even got to the plane. But instead, no, we would drive down to Minden, get in the plane, fly it over to Reno, which was only a 20-minute flight. Sure. And then hop in a cab to go get something to eat and then fly back. And it's like... You know, we just look for any excuse I got to stop you. We're going to commercial. Okay, (laughs) great. Getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. It's words you never heard. Did you hear about the Gabrielunzi bear caught rummaging through a refrigerator in an apartment in Colorado? The tenant heard noises coming from the kitchen and saw a bear with his head in the fridge looking for anything it could eat. What's a word for food that's unfit for human consumption? Ma Wallop. The tenant locked himself in his bedroom and called for help. What's a word for the fear of bears? Ursophobia. We have lots of bears near our Colorado cabin, and we have been told that pepper spray will keep them away. But the idea that it would keep a 500-pound grizzly bear from attacking seems ridiculous to me. I think I'll try the pepper spray on myself and hope the bear doesn't like spicy foods. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Harvard Medical School writes that if you are having an occasional twinge of joint pain when you climb the stairs or go for a walk, or if you are worried about arthritis because your parents have it, one step toward prevention is to check your weight. Being overweight raises your risk for developing osteoarthritis, which is the most common joint disorder, and it's caused by wear and tear on a joint. Excess weight puts added stress on weight-bearing joints like your knee, and the inflammatory factors associated with weight gain may contribute pain in other joints of your body. Being overweight opens you up to many problems, so with all diligence, keep your weight down. Daily exercise and healthy low-calorie eating will keep the extra weight off and promote good health in your life. I'm Annette Hammond. If you're a fan of Fitness Minute, like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. It's Frankie Sense and more. I'm your host, Frankie Picasso, and I'm here with my guest today, Catherine Powers. And Catherine is the widow of the late, great Freddie Powers. And um, Catherine, where are you calling us from today? I'm actually calling you from the world-famous Florabama, which is wow. um, it's on the little island called Perdido Key. And um, I have to say that these people down here helped me take care of Freddie in his final days, and they made sure that all of his needs were met. If we needed anything, they made sure it was all taken care of. Um, I had the customer service. They would come and get, help me get Freddie out of the bus and bring him over here and let him listen to music. Um, it was just... Um, I owe so much to the Floribama and everything that they've done for Freddie and I all oh, through all this time. It was awesome. just, a uh, matter of fact, I brought him down here thinking we had three months because that's what the doctors had told me, and I brought him down here on this beach, and um, he lived three years. So it just tells oh you what gosh. beach life will do for you. 
living on the yeah. beach and having all the music around you'll keep you getting healthy. That's what it did for him. That's amazing. So yes. who was it that published your book? Who did you guys go with? It was at Waldorf Publishing. It's Waldorf Publishing, and they have been just Waldorf. wonderful people, yes. And we also have yeah, a movie just... deal. We've actually signed contracts with um, Yakima Productions, and John Turner is going to be the um, screenplay writer. Nice. Yeah, yeah. so folks, so Spree of 83, it's available on Amazon. You can go grab it there. Um, different places, I'm sure, Barnes & Noble and all the, all the usual bookstores. Right, you, right, um, yes. Your husband was quite the joker, huh? Oh, he was. A, I, I, call, I called him my personal romantical comedian because he was. <laughs> he, well, he was. He was a comedian, but um, he was also well known for um, the Freddie Powers dirty joke nights. So I call him a comedian um, because some of those dirty jokes were a little bit on the. Com- <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, the commode side. <laughs> but um, he was also very romantic, so I called him my romantical commodian. But um, yes, um, he had a Dixieland uh, jazz band, but he also did comedy, stand-up comedy. It was kind of like a Spike Jones type show back in those days. And um, But yeah, he was quite the funny character. Um, That's hilarious. Now, I understand also, I mean, that extended to, um, and it wasn't quite that funny maybe, but that you, you guys were in a doctor's office and the nurse wanted to know how old he was and he told her to go look in the file because he didn't want you to know because he'd lied to you about yes. it. Well, he did, he wasn't the one that lied to me about it. He let a friend of his lead me oh. to believe that he was younger than what he was. So uh-huh. I had gone to the doctor's office with him and... um the doctor, you know, the nurse had taken his vitals and everything, and she said, Freddie, how old are you? And he said it really under his breath, you know, he goes, it's in my file. And um, she goes, oh, Freddie, I'd have to go get it. Well, how old are you? And he looked at her real sternly, and he said, I told you, it's in my file. And so she goes and gets the file, and she comes back out, and she goes, oh, Freddie, it's your birthday, which it was his birthday. She goes, October 13th, 1931, and I looked at him and I went, my daddy was born in 34. So I realized, (laughs) you know, at first I realized he was, you know, I was thinking, okay, he's 18 years older than me, not a big issue. He's a lot older to have a husband, now he's like 24 years older. But yeah, he was 23, actually 23 years older than me, but you know what? He never, it's so funny because even when Freddie passed, everybody was looking at him going, my God, he doesn't look over 60. Freddie just always looked so young and he was so active. I mean, he got a Harley for his 65th birthday. So I kept worrying because. you always look, you look beautiful and young. Well, thank you. I'm always saying I got my daddy's jeans. I'm 63, but I'm, you know, I'm I'm really proud of, I got my daddy's jeans. So that's what I'm always saying. But. (laughs) But that. when Freddie and I, you know, it's kind of funny when we first got together, of course, the flying was the first thing that we got into. And, you know, he was already a pilot. And so he was wanting me to learn how to fly. So I took some flying lessons. And then I was into skiing. So he got into skiing with me. And then um, here at, at 60, he decides that he wants to live off the grid. So we go and buy this cabin up in the mountains where Freddie actually made our own electricity. We had a spring wow. there on our property, and he 
um, took a double-door refrigerator and buried it in the ground, had a Pelton wheel on one side and a generator on the other, and he wired it all the way back up to the house, and we made our own electricity. And so here we were, you know, living off the grid, and then he turned 65, and he got the Harley. And I was like, oh, my God, what kind of adventure is he going to get into when he turns 70? <laughs> I was like, this man was just going from one adventure to another. It seemed like every five years he had another adventure he was going on. So, what did you think about living off the grid? Oh, I loved it. You know, it is so funny oh, yeah. because – we ended up, you know, we had to chop our own wood. My my hot my tub was a wood heated tub. It had a heater in the middle of the tub, and I had to put. We did a took a chunk of coal, and to keep the water hot. So, and I cooked off a wood stove. Um, my the my laundry. Everybody loved my my laundry thing because I had a a washing machine that he had done that um, was made out of a, a ten count ten gallon barrel, and. Wow. Um, I, it was amazing, but the the dryer was the one that everybody loved the most because he took a bicycle and he put a basket on the back of it. And as I rode the bicycle and spun the basket in the sun, I'm riding the bicycle and I'm charging up my little TV so I can watch the soap operas while I was drying my clothes <laughs> on a bicycle. Love, love it. <laughs> he hilarious. was a, he was a little and genius. So how far away from civilization was that? Um, actually, we were 40 miles. This is what is so cool. We were 40 miles with no law in any direction. The fire department oh. didn't even have to come up to our place if they didn't want to. They could just let us burn down if they wanted to <laughs> because wow. we were right out in the middle. And on one side of the highway, everybody either had solar or wind for their electricity. And then on the other side, it was done by solar and water. So we had solar and water making our electricity that's crazy and and like let, let's go back to the the houseboat for a moment because i think didn't merle bought that houseboat for, yes merle bought freddie the houseboat right? yes yep he and sure wasn't did. that like 90 grand or something crazy? yeah it was it was it was eighty five thousand wow. dollars and uh matter of fact merle had asked freddie said freddie why don't you move up here on and live on the houseboats get a houseboat next to me and freddie was like merle I'd love to, but I don't have that kind of money that you do. And Merle said, money is one thing I got plenty of. So he went and bought Freddie a houseboat and parked it right next to him. And um, they had their own little group up there, and they all lived on houseboats and go up Pitt River and take a bunch of girls. And always said it, Freddie always wow. called them the gals, the gals that they ran around with. And I, it wasn't until Teresa and I came along, and we actually had became girlfriends and wives, but the rest of them were all gals. <laughs> <laughs> now you, I, I, you skipped over the skiing story, but I'm going to go play play your song now, and then I want to go back to skiing because it was kind of a funny story in the book. Um, Karina, can you please play Catherine's song on the road to my heart? Now, this was your wedding gift. Yes, it was my wedding present. Um, okay. He had. He had actually put it in my purse, a tape in my purse, and I was going to town to get water. And I looked over, and I was like, I didn't put no tape in my purse. And it was this is back in cassettes. So it was a cassette. So I put it in and started playing it, and I realized that it was a song he had written for me, and it was my wedding present. Oh, that's beautiful. Road, road to my heart, Catherine's yeah. song. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> Everybody goes, that was because he couldn't afford to buy me a real present. <laughs> well, I'm sure he could. Oh, well, he could, but I, I, you know, he was a songwriter. I always tell everybody I'm married to a songwriter. You know, but yeah. they think, you know, when you're 
say you've got a lot of hit songs, they think, well, you must be wealthy. And it's like, no, I said I married a songwriter. And Freddie always had a joke about songwriters. He would say that he could tell the difference between a songwriter and a musician when they come to visit him. He said, uh, a musician would leave an oil spot in your driveway, but the songwriter, you could follow him all the way home by his oil spots. <laughs> that's a good one. Oh, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Okay, let's, let's hear that song, that wedding song. Yes, thank you. You're on the road. On the way to my heart Follow that old love light That brings you close to me You found a way Makes me want to stay Makes me want to stay around And never part You read my mind I guess you're good At bringing out my best you're on the road to my heart Just what to do You're on the road To my heart You're on the road To my heart He really does have a beautiful voice, Catherine. Ah, thank you. You made me want to dance. You know, that was the one thing I missed so much about my Freddie is is my dancing partner. Freddie was a phenomenal dancer. I even said that if they'd had Dancing with the Stars on before he'd gotten sick, Freddie would have either been a huge contender, if not the winner, because wow. he, was a, wow. he was a fun dancer. He has that body type. Yeah, I can see he has that body type and rhythm. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes, yes. To die for. Yeah. What, when did he get involved with Protégé? like his protégés, like Mary Sarah. Like, when did you get involved? After he had the Parkinson's and was sick? Well, Mary Sarah, think- yeah, Mary Sarah came along after the Parkinson's. Um, now, he had quite a few, of course, before then, but Mary Sarah was um, one. You know, um, they always say, you know, Freddie's out having, if he ever wrote a hit song, for well, actually, taking an, an unknown artist. Freddie always said if he took, could take an unknown artist and take one of his songs, and they make a hit. After we pay the bills. What? Okay. Sorry. It's oh. 
Is there a particular food item that you absolutely crave to the point of madness? Then you're an opsomaniac like me. I love avocados, for instance, probably because avocados have more protein, fat, and calories than any other fruit. Some folks are afraid of the avocado, nicknaming it the alligator pear for slippery and yucky. What's a word for the fear of food? Sitiophobia. Talk about yummy snacks, let's not forget potato chips. A pound of potato chips costs 200 times more than a pound of potatoes, or tater tatties as Aussies call them. The slang word spud derives from the spade-like tool used to dig them out. What's another word for mashed potatoes? Pachi pachi. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. Last night, my husband was laughing as he was reading about the differences between men and women. According to the article, men get single tusks or hiccups more often than women. Everyone knows that women are better at multitasking than men. I'm good at both multitasking and procrastinating, which means right now there are 28 things that I'm putting off until later. What's another word for a person who puts everything off until the last minute? A cunctator. Women blink nearly twice as much as men. And while men can read smaller print than women, women can hear better. In fact, when a woman says, what? She heard you. She's just giving you a chance to change what you said. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Okay, well, it looks like Skype froze on us and we went to a commercial break and we didn't know we were going and we were just talking about Mary Sarah. So if you wouldn't mind, Catherine, just going back over that a little bit, I would appreciate it. Okay. Well, what I was going to say is that Freddie always said that, you know, a, a huge achievement for, you know, like a, a songwriter would to write a song and make a star out of an unknown. And uh-huh. um, so Freddie, of course, he, you know, would give songs to some up and coming and um, unknowns and hopes and dreams that, you know, somebody might make a hit off of it. Well, Mary Sarah, when she came along, well, he thought, you know, maybe I could do it in a different way because he, you know, was a producer and he produced, you know, albums on Merle and he produced some albums with Willie and stuff. And so he decided that he was going to take Mary Sarah, who is virtually an unknown, and he did yep. set her up with doing duets with a lot of his friends and making this album, and it's called Bridges. And um, she's doing duets with people like Merle Haggard and Willie Nelson and Ray Price, uh, Tanya Tucker, Dolly Parton, um, Oak Ridge Boys. I mean, the list just goes on. There's 13 different ones on that album. And so, yeah, um, his final project was producing this album on Mary Sarah, and that was his final project. Now, Mary Sarah always wanted to take guitar lessons from Freddie, but by this time he was unable to play um, the guitar anymore. Well, guess so. what? Get, you know what? Mary Sarah, hi. You're with us? Hi! hi! Oh, my gosh! She did this to me! Well, sweet! <laughs> She's our precious little girl. We've always loved our Mary Sarah since the first day we met her. Her whole family is just a wonderful family. Yeah, I think I America fell in love with her. Uh, yes, she is a beauty. She's a beauty and has a, a, just a wonderful voice. 
and she's so talented. You're just being nice. No, <laughs> uh, no, we all know. I'm so, I'm so, I can't believe y'all did this to me. This is exciting. So, Mary Sarah, you knew they were going to pull this one on me. <laughs> oh, oh, I, I did, and I love surprising you. So this is this is perfect. <laughs> like, uh, yep. I'm a part of it. <laughs> That's it. Yes, yes. You I know, can it, see. It's interesting. Like, you couldn't take guitar lessons from Freddie Mary, and you couldn't, um, you know, but you did write it. You write. You wrote that. You know, bridges with him, and he, you wrote his very last song with him. And he could barely speak, but you understood him, and you got the lyrics on yeah. a paper plate. Tell yeah. us about that that day. It's really incredible. I mean, the experience in itself is unlike anything I've ever experienced, and. The thing about Freddie is, you know, I am so thankful because, you know, I would not be where I'm at today if it wasn't for Freddie and also Catherine and all of the people that he's introduced me to and connected me with. And uh, that experience to get to write that last song with him, um, I was nervous as I'll get out because I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't, you know, I'm not the best songwriter in the world. And, um, you know, this is just crazy. It's Freddie Powers. I'm like, I can't believe, you know, I get this opportunity. But, yeah, it was, you know, a little bit nerve-wracking on the fact that you know he couldn't really speak that well at that time and uh but you know what getting to spend time with him in general even in just the quiet moments you could mm-hmm. tell through his eyes exactly what you know he wants to say and and how he feels about things and um and I think that's just such an incredible thing that you know we we got to spend so much time together that I did get to know him even though he couldn't you know right. speak as well and and play that says and, a lot about and, you yeah, yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's, I'm I'm very blessed to have been, you know, his, you know, the person that he took under his wing, and you know, and put relationships. I wouldn't say put him on the line, but you know, to use his relationships the way he did, and and uh, and Catherine mm-hmm. is a, a big, big part of that because you know, like like I said, he couldn't speak very well, so she was his voice, and you know, so she she also took me under her wing, and she's she's definitely my I call her my mom. She's my mama. I call well, y'all got me quiet now. What did you think of when you were watching? Did you watch Mary Sarah on The Voice? I'm sure you did. Oh, God, yes. We both did. Um, and I could see it in Freddie's eyes how excited. Oh, God, y'all got me crying. How excited he was to, to see her and, and all that. Yeah, it was it was quite a great experience for us as well. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's awesome. Um, Oh, that was so sweet. I, I laugh at myself when I cry. New release. You have your your new releases without you. It came out uh, a couple weeks ago, right? It did. Yeah, July seventh of my birthday, my twenty second birthday. So it's uh, it's now yeah, a couple weeks out. It's been incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Look at all the accomplishments you've had in your twenty two. I mean, you started off what, what when you were twelve in the Texas yeah. Opry circuit. Yeah, well, when I was 12, too, I actually went on tour. Um, so I don't know if you've ever heard of the Kids Bop CDs, but they're one of the top-selling kids CDs in the U.S. and have been for God knows how long. And it was actually, that was my first experience touring um, at 12 years old. And my mom and I packed up with uh, five other kids and toured the East Coast and Midwest. And um, it was incredible. It was really where I That's figured exciting. out that I loved every aspect of, you know, music when it was, you know, recording to touring to, you know, the meet and greet lines. Um, and I think, you know, I look back and I'm like, my mom probably thought and my parents thought I was probably crazy because I remember like a specific time on the tour where I just looked at her and I said, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. 
and uh-huh. and it's still it's still happening to this day and I know that it's something that I'm it's going to be the thing that I do for the rest of my life because you know I've been given a gift and you know it's not my gift it's God's gift and uh and I want yeah. you know I want to be able to have him do what he he has planned with this gift and and so uh, I've been able to do so much so far and, and he's blessed me to be able um, to just be a light where I can. And, uh, you know, I just continually to pray like that and, and ask him to keep doing that as I go, you know, through my career. And, and it benefits me just as much in the fact that, you know, to see the responses with people and, and sometimes, you know, when I sing songs and it hits them in, in you know, different ways and brings back memories, yeah. it's just, it's a blessing to me to have those experiences and, and to affect people like that. So it's, uh, it's such a wonderful thing and I'm blessed to that's awesome. Did you, um, there was some advice, Catherine and Mary, that Sarah, that um, Freddie gave about not just being a singer. He said, you can't just be a singer because you're at the mercy of the band. What did he mm-hmm. tell you? Yeah, well, no, I, the one thing that I've learned is you really have to know more, more than just singing. I mean, you have to be in control. I mean, you're leading. Um, you know, you don't, you mm-hmm. don't want to follow the band. You want to, you want to lead the band. Um, and right. you want to be in control when you're on stage. And, and so that takes, you know, practicing and learning things that are a little bit outside of what you normally do and maybe learning, you know, charting and, and how to tell the band where to go and what to do and, and how to fill those moments. And then also to learn how to fill in the awkward moments that, you know, feel awkward to you, but actually aren't that awkward. It's funny. And you got to really yeah. accept those moments and, and, and take advantage of those and, and really practice, you know, filling in those things and so it's a whole lot it's not just it's not just the singing aspect it's it's really sure. honing your craft and what you can do and that's definitely I, I Freddie watching the videos of him on stage and just how relaxed he was too um when he plus, was he, plus he made he made sure that she learned that play that guitar Freddie always yeah. said singers are singers but you're at the mercy of the band unless you can and lead the band with your own instrument and so yeah yeah. He, so, he, uh, and one of the things about Freddie was that, that a lot of the musicians, they're probably a little bit lazy. Freddie put a lot of key changes and chords in his songs, and, <laughs> and they were hard to oh, play. Oh, Merle, man. I, no, Merle, Merle even asked him one time, he said, Freddie, can you not write a, a, a simple song? He goes, you always <laughs> have, you have to write a song that's so hard to sing and play. Well, it's but... so funny because <laughs> when I take Freddie's song to any of my bands or um, or anybody who like comes in that's new that's playing with me and stuff, it's it's definitely like the songs that they're like, I need to spend extra time on because it's, you know, yeah. they're a lot more difficult than, you know, the average song. And, and especially like in, you know, in country music where I'm at, you know, it's, they call it three chords in the truth, but that is not Freddie's motto. <laughs> not Freddie's <laughs> motto. <laughs> well, you got the jazz in there, you know, you got that yeah. jazz swing yeah. thing happening. It's it really cool. It's very cool. The, um, Natural High, that was a real big hit, and it's a beautiful song. And the the other song that I don't have, and I wish I did, but I do have Natural High, was the one that Ray Charles, the one in the hotel room. And it's a great little yeah. story. You want to tell that story? Little hotel room? Yeah. Yeah, actually, you know, it's kind of funny because Freddie had um, written that song, and he had played it for his bass player at the time, Danny Bird Reynolds. And when he got through, Danny Bird said, God, Freddie, that sounds like a Ray Charles song. Well, not thinking, you know, that someday in the future he was going to be sitting there. And and, uh, they were in New York. Freddie and Merle was in New York. And Merle walks in and he goes, Freddie, 
He said, Ray Charles has just asked me to come in and do some stuff with him. He goes, he's next door. He says, we got anything for Ray Charles? And Freddie jumps up and he goes, do I? And so Freddie got to sit on the piano stool right next to Ray Charles, writing that song, I mean, uh, teaching him that song, um, word for word and chord for chord. And um, Freddie said, you know, that was one of his proudest days. And the sad part about it is, is there's not a single picture of it. People didn't Aww. walk around with cameras, you know, like we do today. We sure. got a telephone. We got a camera. Back then, they, they, they just didn't happen. So there's not even a single picture of him sitting there with, with Ray Charles. Wow. And, so, What's your favorite but, uh, Freddie Power song, Mary Sarah? Um, I, I always have to go with the one that we sang together because it means so much to me, and that's all I want to do is sing my song. Um, oh, me every single that's a beautiful time, song, too. Yeah, and I feel like it hits me differently every single time um, and and finds me. And, you know, when I'm in a rock and a hard place sometimes and I hear it, I'm like, this is why I do what I do because all I want to do is sing. And all I want to, you know, and all I want to do is live life to the fullest. And, and that song just, it, it touches me every single time in a different way. And um, so it, it, I think because also, you know, getting the opportunity to sing the song with him, you know, is it's, it's never not going to be my favorite because you know, that, that in itself is a deal to me. So there's another Freddie song, Catherine, you know, my husband's a songwriter too. And, and he wrote a song called six, six steel strings in a box. And Freddie wrote a song about hanging up his guitar, which had to be probably the hardest thing for anybody Mm -hmm. who plays guitar to do. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, the Parkinson. He had Parkinson's, and it was really, you know, he got to a point where he just couldn't even play anymore, right? And and hold it or do anything. We're gonna right. go a break in a minute. Actually, Maybe I should yeah. get into this. But um, the event that that led up to you knowing about the Parkinson's was he was playing guitar and he broke his finger. Is that correct? Yeah, he was actually on doing the Tonight Show, and um, Freddie and I always had a little when he would do those shows. I I would watch him. I he would give me a little sign, you know, let me know that. My mom thinking of you, yeah. and um, and I was sitting there with my father, and we were. My father was in the hospital, and I'm sitting there, and I was going, "Oh, there's something wrong." And my daddy's like, "How do you know?" And I said, "Because he's not giving me a sign, and I can just see something, you know, weird in his face." So we, when the show was over, he called me and he said, "Mama, I broke my hand," and I was like, "Oh my gosh, you, what?" So he. You know, okay, it's gonna be a cliffhanger because we gotta go commercial. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, quickly, he when he went to the doctor and he, you know, he took that cast off. Well, his little finger wasn't working, and that's okay, when the doctor said the MR. Frankie Sense and more. We'll be right back after we pay the bills. The first official Fourth of July party was held at the White House in 1801. But did you know that countries other than the U.S. celebrate American Independence Day or July 4th? Denmark, Italy, Portugal, and England all have 4th of July parties. In fact, the British celebrate their independence with bungers and fizz gigs, otherwise known as firecrackers, just like in America. Squib is slang for an electric match used in pyrotechnics. Our dog celebrates July 4th every year the same way. 
by cowering under the bed. Many European celebrations take place, of course, at American military bases. I'd like to send a special thanks to all our armed forces stationed around the world for everything you do to provide freedom and independence to America. It's marching day. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's Marching Did you know that one in five car crashes happen during the process of looking for a parking space? Do you typically take the first base you see or circle around looking for a better spot? Richard Cassidy, a professor of engineering at the University of Arkansas, proposes that it takes longer for people who circle looking for the best spot to get to their destination than those who pick the first spot they see. In other words, you keep moving towards the finish line while the other guy ends up chasing his own taillights. But what do you do about the skillamalink? That's the shady person who slips into your spot when they knew darn well you were waiting for it. I really don't like parking garages. However, not finding a spot to park in a parking garage is wrong on so many levels. It's marching day I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. This is Frankie Sensenmore. I am your host. Host Frankie Picasso. My guest today is Catherine Powers. We just said goodbye to beautiful Mary Sarah, who had to go. And just before we uh, went to our very quick commercial break, um, Catherine was telling us about how how Freddie was on the Tonight Show, and, and his face looked a little awkward. And he called you after the show, and he said, "Mama, I broke my finger." How? how yeah. has he, who breaks a finger playing the guitar? Well, actually, he had fallen, and um, oh, he fell. He fell and broke it. And so, of course, they had it in a cast. And when he got mm-hmm. it out of the cast, um, Freddie was having problems stretching out his little finger to play. Is this his cord hand? Or is, or is, yeah, his or cord is hand, hand, the left hand. Yep, his oh, cord hand. So um, he goes back to the hand doctor thinking, you know, that it didn't heal right. And when mm-hmm. he told the doctor what was going on, he said, Freddie, you need to go get an MRI. And that's when they discovered that it was Parkinson's. But we, oh, when the more I learned about the Parkinson's, the more I realized Freddie had Parkinson's when we first got together. And there was little oh. things that um, I would, it's like one time we were sitting there and he had his leg propped up on the coffee table and I saw this jerking in the leg. It was like a little ripple. And I was like, what is that? And he was like, I don't know. And I was and when I would put my finger on it, it would stop. And then I'd take my finger off, and it'd start back up. And I said, "Do you? does it bother you? And he said, no. So he never even went to the doctor and thought anything about it. But he also had other little things that were happening that we did not know or associate that it was with Parkinson's at the time. And it was actually John Rich and Big Kenny. One day they walked in. And they were walking, and they were calling it the Freddie Powers Strut. And I was like looking at them, and they had his—they had their left arms just stiff and straight, and they wasn't swinging. And I was like, oh, "Freddie's arm swings." And so I'm looking over, and I'm going, and I started watching him, and I realized it? <laughs> that it's not swinging. And that's when I was like, oh, my God, that's part of the Parkinson's. And we just did not realize it. But they called it the Freddie Power strut. Oh, oh, that's funny, actually. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, so 
Now, that ran in his family, didn't it? Parkinson's his dad? Well, they think that his father possibly had um, Parkinson's because his father had cancer, and a lot of those cancer oh, treatment okay. drugs will cause what they call essential tremors. But, um, you know, it's it's one of those things that there's so many different what they think may be causes of Parkinson's. And like I said, sure. until they know what the cause for sure is, there's no way of finding a cure. And so, yeah. But, um, and but, but he lasted a really, like, he lived a long time with it, right? I mean, yeah, really he did. He did. He lived a good 12 years with it. And um, like I said, when I brought him down to the Florabama, took him out of the hospital in Nashville, and they said three months, four months on the outside, well, my little Freddie, he just says, I'm not great. Freddie said, he always said, I'm Freddie Powers, and I'll go, and I'm dang re- dang, dang near ready. <laughs> I, I can't say the exact words he said, but he said when he was ready, he would go. And um, so it, when he did go, um, I, I'm not going to say he was Freddie because I've never seen a, a person fight dying as much as what Freddie did, but he fought all the way to the very end because he didn't want to leave me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. How could he? <laughs> he How always would tease me and say, Mama, when I die, don't you be running off with those flat belly hound dogs. That's what he called them. I was going, honey, oh. by this time, I said, I'm over 60 now. He'd be a beer belly with a crack in the back. <laughs> yeah. going. So do you have a little doggy still? Yes, we do. We've got um, little Miss Olga, who I always say she was my fur coat. Um, Aww. He had told me we'd gone to a, a party one time, and all the women there were standing there with their mink coats and all this, and I'm standing there with a leather coat. And he leans over, and he goes, Mama, if you want a fur coat, I'll buy you a fur coat. Well, my dog is my fur coat. When I came yeah. in and told him how much she was, he goes, I think you need to go back to the Internet. And I said, Honey, she's my fur coat, and she cost you a third of what the one I'd probably pick out. Yeah. So he got out good with her, but she's a little Russian. There's only, um, there's like only 85 of them in the United States, and we no longer have a breeder here, so um, looks like we've got the last of the breed, and all the ones here have been fixed, so. But I do have a rare little dog, and she was her daddy's dog for sure. Oh, that's great. So what's, what's Catherine doing these days? What are you doing? Well, um, You're right doing now, interviews and I'm doing interviews and I'm promoting the book and the rest, you know, Freddie was the love of my life. He will always yeah. be the love of my life. Um, I'm constantly having to, you know, let people know that, no, I'm not interested in, I mean, it's only been a year one and, uh, and That's two, right. I, I'm not interested in, in, in starting another life. Um, so all I want to do is spend the rest of my life we'll keeping yes. Freddie's name alive, his music alive, and that's what I want, and that's what I'll yeah. do. And so well, that's what, they're all too young for you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's my my deal, my goal. What did he? Him what alive. did Freddie say? Did he ever talk to you about you know when he when he went? Did he want you to go with anybody? Well, you know what? It's kind of funny. I have to say that his mother actually set the bar pretty high for all of us girls. Um, Because when when Freddie's father passed, um, Nanny never married again. She never dated again. And and then um, and she lost her husband at a very young age. She was like in her, you know, late 50s. And um, 
And so, um, and Freddie did. He, you know, we talked about it. And like I said, my Freddie said, "Mama, don't you be running off with no flat belly hound dog." I was going, if I messed up and it was with somebody, it'd turn him over. <laughs> he wouldn't handle it. But um, you know, it's kind of funny. None of the other women in the family have um, dated or gone off and got married again. Um, now, some of the girls, the sisters, yeah, when they lost their spouses, they did uh, marry again, but. None of the none of the guys' wives, and so I'm one of the guys' wives. Freddie was, you know, come from seven kids. He was the sure. middle of seven, and so uh, no. How I, interesting! I mean, interesting that that Merle and, and he went within two months of each other. I, I, you know, I was surprised that Freddie lasted that long because I, there was I, when I told him I didn't, I, you know, Freddie's sister and brother. He had had a brother and a sister both to pass. And Freddie had suffered so much, and I just didn't think it was good to tell him that they had passed because, you know, oh. I knew there was nothing he could do about it. And to have him lay there sure. and, and, you know, with this sadness, I just didn't think it was needed. But when Merle passed, of course, it was going to be on TV, and people were calling yeah. and coming by. So I had to tell him that Merle had passed. And I, honestly, I thought that that was going to be the end of Freddie right then. But... um he did make it another two months, but I, you know, like I said, I didn't think he would last that much longer after Merle. Because, I bet you he was sitting there going, "Oh, good, I got somebody to play guitar with in heaven." <laughs> that's exactly right. They're up there in heaven, having one heck of a time with Danny Burr Reynolds and Ray Price. I, they're they're having a good time. Yeah, I'm they're sure probably have, to have a buddy up there. <laughs> the, the Lord is probably going, guys. I wanted y'all together, but um, I need for y'all to behave a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cut back on the girls a little bit. Yeah. yeah and they were it. all chick magnets, right? Yeah, absolutely. What was, it about what was it? Was it the money, the booze, the, the stardom? What was you it? You know, I think it's the, a little bit of all of it, but one of it was the charm. You know, yeah. um, Freddie definitely was an extremely charming man, and um, Merle could be, too. Sometimes I'd, you know, Merle would tease him, you know, but um, they were they were both very charming men and uh, with great personalities. That you know, you could take somebody really ugly, and if they've got a great personality, they can be somebody very sure. beautiful. So absolutely. What's so, what's, the, what's the story behind Natural High? Um, Natural High. Uh, that was with one of those gals. You know, Freddie referred to him as gals that he ran with. And the gal at the time he was running with, she had, um, they, they were all, you know, drinking and getting high and having a party. And um, Freddie went to offer her a drink, and she said, nope, I'm on a natural high. Well, that was a perfect line for Freddie, and that's when he went and wrote that song. And uh, Merle was very proud of him, too, because that was the first song that Freddie had written completely by himself that he got a number one on. And so... wow. Uh, Merle let's was play really it, proud Karina. of him, too. We, we've got four minutes left, or three, maybe. Let, let's play that song, at least two minutes of it, so we can say goodbye to Catherine. Okay, let's play a little bit of it, and then we'll come back so folks can hear it. Yes. I think a natural high is perfect. I don't drink, yes. so I'm always on a natural high. <laughs> Me, too. I, I can't drink. You know what? It's funny, because... Um, when Freddie got into where I had to carry him, I was carrying him and piggybacking him. Oh, yeah. There was two things that I could not do, and that was I could no longer have a glass of wine, and I couldn't wear high heels. Well, to this day, I can't oh, yeah. have a glass of wine, and I can't wear high heels. 
Did you could you find it, Karina? I don't know if she found it or not. I guess not. She'd be playing it. Oh well. Oh well. Uh, I don't see her. You can always play. You'll have them now. You you can play them anytime now. Yeah, that's right. I wanted to play it on air with you, but that's okay. We'll we'll play it again another day. Um, okay, two minutes. Okay, thank you. Um, so Catherine, first of all, let me just say what a pleasure it is to have met you and I thank you for coming on the show. Is there anything that you, you want folks to, to know? I know that the Freddie, um, the Freddie Powers Parkinson's, uh, that, that kind of had to close down, didn't it? it? Well, yeah, it did. Um, when it, you know, because I was trying to run it and, and take care of Freddie and everything. And yeah. When it just got hard. so hard, I could not, there was no way I could keep them yeah. both going. But while we were, um, open, we did a lot of good things and, um, yeah, that was. That Freddie was, said to you too that he didn't want to be obscure. He didn't want to die and be obscure. And so I'm going to commend you for for make, keeping true to your promise and telling him he wouldn't. Oh no, he wouldn't be. He he. I will not let people forget him. No way. He he was too good to too many people, and um, he contributed a lot to the music industry. And um, matter of fact, when he did the when Mary Sarah got to do the little tribute on the Grand Ole Opry, you know, it was just. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was a beautiful thing to have all those guys come up and tell me how important Freddie was to their career. It was just that's fantastic. Yeah, I I, yeah. I start crying again. Y'all gonna make me cry again? Don't all cry because we got <laughs> we don't have very much time. I'm gonna say go and get the spree of '83, and it's it's you know uh, Catherine and Freddie and Merle Haggard and and uh, all kinds of people. Mary Sarah, they're all in the book, and you. You can read all about them, what they have to say, and it's really just a history lesson of music as well. So it's a pretty exciting book. And Catherine, thank you again. Coming from Florabama, thank you again thank for, you. for being my guest today. So all right. Nice. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hit Rash Production. Mm-hmm. Shit, now you 